Ron Cool, and I am one of the pastors here. And again, I'd like to just invite, uh, join the others in, in welcoming any of you who might be visiting this morning. We are really glad that you are here with us. We're going to continue our study of the book of Ephesians this morning. Uh, we're calling this series Finding Our Place. And, and what we've said is that Paul is writing to a group of churches in Ephesus and around it. He's writing to a, to a group of churches, and they're living in a world that's changing significantly. It's, it's, it's really kind of up in the air about right and wrong and, and, and how things are going to fit together and, and uh, just a lot of changes, and Paul is saying to them, you know, you've got to remember who you are. You've got you, you to find your place in Christ. And, and as we've gone through this book, we are at the halfway point. We're done with chapter 3. We're going to start chapter 4, and that's not just in terms of numbers. There's a significant change and transition in, in Paul's letter at this point. Up to this point, what Paul has done for three chapters is he's really just challenged us to know who we are, to, to remember who we are, to understand who we are. He hasn't been talking about what we're supposed to be doing. He's just been talking about who we are. And he said, you know what? You are in Christ. If you are a Christ follower, you are in Christ. You are forgiven in Christ. You are safe in Christ. You are alive in Christ. He said, you are in Christ. And you've got to remember that. Even though the world around you is shaking, you are in Christ. Even though the world around you is putting pressure on you, you are in Christ. He said, you're saved by grace. Chapter two talked about being saved by grace, that we are dead to sin and now alive in Christ, that we have been saved absolutely 100% by what God has done, that you and I share the same story of from death to life through Jesus Christ. He, he says in chapter 3, we've been brought into God's family, or actually chapter 2 as well, the end of that, brought into God's family, that, that we were far from God, and now we have become near to God. And, and then last week, at, at the end of this section, Daniel dealt with what Paul does. He, he does all this teaching about this is who you are, this is who you are. And then Paul's prayer last week was all about saying, now, I, I just pray that God can just dig that deep into you. I pray, you know, I, that you being rooted and established in love may have the power to grasp how high and wide and deep and long is the love of Christ. Paul is saying, I just pray that you can know how much God loves you. I just pray that you can really grasp it, not just in your heads, but in your hearts. And, and so really, in these first three chapters, Paul has done very little, if any, talking about how we live. Now that changes. In, in, in this place now, when we start chapter 4, Paul's going to say, now you've got to live it out, all right? You, you've got to know who you are, but now when we get to chapter 4, we start with this of now become who you are, all right? Now live that out. It always works this way scripturally. It's always God who moves first. It's God who loves us first. And, and, and for people who want to say, and, and you'll find some people who say, they say, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian because I believe Jesus gives us a good way to live, but I don't believe all that death and resurrection stuff. I want to say, well, it doesn't work without the death and resurrection stuff. We can't, we can't do what God calls us to do in chapter 4 unless we've first of all been made alive in Christ. It's not just a neat way to live. It's a new way to live. It's, it's a new way of life, all right? It's God being alive in us. And so what Paul is going to do is he's going to say, become who you are. And we see this in, in, in chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says this, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you, I beg you, I plead with you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. All right, so live a life worthy of the calling that you have received, given who you are. Now, that's why I say it's become who you are. One thing I want to real quick touch on there is that, that word worthy, because as I was looking at it, sometimes it could be tempted to say, all right, God has given you this gift, now earn it, right? Be worthy of it. Be, no, it's, it's more live in line with it, okay? It's not like all of a sudden, here we have to earn it. No, it's a gift from God. And Paul is saying, I'm just begging you to let that gift flower, 
to live in God's grace, to live in, in, in God's life. And so that's what he's going to do with the rest of the, of the book, the next three chapters, four, five, and six. Become who you are. And I want to kind of give you an overview of, of all of that before we get specifically into verses one through six of chapter four. Uh, again, I think it's helpful to recognize not only is, is, is anything Paul says in chapter four, five, and six rooted in one to three, but, but I also think we need to see how they're connected with each other because what we're going to look at this week and next week, all right, is, is 4, 1 to 16 where Paul says, you know, because you're in Christ, you're one family and you need to learn to live in unity. You need to learn to care for each other. You need to learn to set apart your struggles and differences and learn to live in unity. We're going to talk about that this week and next week. But one of the things I want you to, to notice, is, and, and this is why taking scripture seriously is so difficult because what Paul's going to do then in 4.17 is he's going to say, you also have to live in purity. He says, you're going to have to live in purity. That's going to go to 520. He's going to talk about living in the light, about avoiding the darkness. And, and what I wanted you to see in this is to recognize that Paul calls us to be passionate. Paul calls us to be 100% committed to both unity and purity. As we go through struggles, we tend to grab onto one or the other, right? I mean, think of situations we face in our culture today and so on. On the one hand, some of us kind of say, oh, unity is more important, so we're just going to agree to disagree, and, and you can kind of do whatever you want, and I go the unity route. Others of us say, no, purity matters. Holiness matters, and God has rules, and we have to follow those rules. And I want to say, it's both, okay? It's not one or the other. Our challenge is to be unified and pure, and to be pure and unified, okay? It's, it's not a matter where we have to choose one or the other. In a broken world, it feels that way, right? But our calling is to do everything in our power, to recognize that as a community of faith, we are to be united. We are to be united together. We are supposed to work and do everything we can. You'll see that in just a minute, to be together. But that's not at the expense of purity, of holiness, of fighting against sin, of, of calling sin, sin. And, and, and again, like I say, for me, I think one of the biggest struggles is, is our temptation to choose one or the other. It's a lot easier to say, well, I'm just going to go grace. I'm going to go truth. To be full of grace and truth is, right, I think the challenge. So though that's at unity, purity, and then he's going to turn to in God-honoring relationships. That's where we get to husbands and wives and, and when we get to 522, I think it is, somehow I have a feeling Daniel's going to preach on wives, submit to your husbands. Don't know if the schedule will work out that way, but somehow I have this feeling. Uh, no, we, we will handle that well, okay? But it's husbands and wives, it's parents and children, it's, it's owners and employees, uh, slaves and slaves, uh, owners and so on. But it's, it's that stuff. And then just as Paul at the end of chapter 3 has a prayer of saying, okay, now I pray that God is going to make this deep. It's like he says, okay, this is what you do. This is how you live it out. Become this this way, live in unity and purity and in good relationships and God-honoring relationships. And then Paul says, and you do it with God's help. And that's where we get some of the interesting stuff some of you are somewhat familiar with of, of, of the, the, the armor of God, right? And of, of, of Paul's call to prayer. And so we get the same kind of structure in the second half of the letter of Paul saying, now this is how you're supposed to live, but it's by God's help and by God's grace. So that's what we're going to do between now and sometime into September. We'll see how quickly we go through all of this. But this morning, again, we're going to go to Ephesians um, chapter 4. Those two things, enough, know who you are. Ephesians chapter 4, 1 to 6. And, and we're going to talk here about unity, all right? And, and I'm calling this week unity part 1. There we go. And then next week we're going to have called unity part 2. 
And so you can anticipate that, all right? So just the first part of this, the first six verses of this, what we're going to find that Paul talks about in this is, first of all, the plea. The plea that Paul makes, and then we're going to look at the reason. Why does Paul call us to this unity? Why does Paul call us to this? And then we're going to look at the way. And how do we do this? How do we live in unity? How, how, how does that work? What does that look like? How might we experience that? So the plea and the reason and then the way. So let's start with the plea. And it is, it is the, the central plea really for verses 1 through 16. It's in 4 verse 3 where Paul writes these words. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort to keep the unity of the of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Two things I want you to notice about this. First of all, if you've got your Bibles and you, and you like to write in them, circle the word keep. I think it's interesting, and I don't think it's just semantics, but I think it's, it's interesting and, and significant that Paul doesn't say, make every effort to, to, to build bonds of unity. Make every effort to create unity. That's not what he says. He says, make every effort to keep the unity. You see, I think when I think about unity, what I see so often myself and when I think about it is it's like, okay, you and I are so different or you and I disagree on this and now we've got to find a way to, to become unified. And, and I think what Paul is saying is, no, that's not right. What it is is you and I are unified. We share one story in Jesus Christ. We have died and have come to life. We are unified. What we have to do is keep from being torn apart. The pressures of our own sinfulness, the pressures of our world and our culture want to drive wedges between us and want to separate us. And, and so Paul is saying, you know, you keep the unity, all right? You, you do all that you can to, to keep that unity, to recognize that we start in Christ unified. And, and, and now again, you can say, well, certainly the church isn't unified. Look at all the different denominations. Look at all the different churches. Look at the Christian. I know. I, I, I know. Paul... Paul recognizes that, on the one hand, we are already, in reality, unified. I I, I read one commentator, um, John Stott, talked about this, and he said, you know, in some ways, it's like family members. You know, my brother, uh, brothers, my sister, they're going to be my brothers and sister, no matter what. I mean, we got the same parents. (laughs) We we are, now we can fight, and and, and at one level, we can say, we're never going to talk to each other again, but but we start together, right? And, and the challenge is to say, not, not how do we get together? We're so, no, we got the same parents. We got the same story. We were raised in the same family. And, and, and even when we're struggling with each other, there is that relationship. My brother is always going to be my brother. My sister is always going to be my sister. And, and, and it's there. It's just the way it is in a family. You can choose not to talk to them. You can choose to be really angry at them. But they are part of the same family. And when Paul says keep, I think that's part of what he's getting at is to say, you know, you might get really mad at each other, but you're part of the same family. You might disagree with each other, but you're part of the same family. Make every effort, and that's the other word I want to look at, all right, to keep, but it's also make every effort. Marcus Bart is a great New Testament scholar, Greek guy, and he, he, he says we can hardly understand the power of, of Paul's plea on make every effort. It, it's an ongoing thing, and so one way to translate it might be keep on doing absolutely everything you possibly can do. I mean, that's what Paul is saying. It's not, hey, do your best to live in unity. Do your best to try to get along. No, he says, make every effort. Keep on doing absolutely everything. Absolutely everything you can do. Make every effort 110% all the time to live together in unity. This is so passionate the way Paul says that. And uh, to put it in the negative, it's never settle for broken relationships with other Christians. 
Never settle for that. Now, again, in a broken world, sometimes it's going to happen. And sometimes people are going to refuse. But you know what? In, in, it, it, it ought to constantly, we need to be aware of it, where there is separation between us and other Christians. We, we, need, to, we need to be aware of it, and it needs to break our heart. And, and I know in a broken world, we're not going to always get along. But, but when Paul says, God says through Paul, make every effort got to understand how passionate that is. And I just wonder sometimes if I really do that. How passionate am I? And how, how easily do I settle? How easily do I just settle for saying, you know what, that person is just, I disagree with them and I don't want to talk to them anymore. If you have somebody in your family, if that person is a Christian, if you have somebody in your neighborhood and that person is a Christian and you're not talking to that person, Paul has got a word for you this morning. God has got a word. Make every effort. Now, again, you can't make that person. In another place, Paul is going to say, in as far as it's up to you, as much as you're able, so that Paul recognizes some people aren't going to get along with us. But we are called to make every effort to get along with each other in the church and among churches. Again, Paul is writing, when he talks about keeping the unity, Paul is writing to, to, to people who are in local churches, but he's writing to more than one church. And so I think we have to recognize he's talking about in the local church and among churches. And so make every effort. And, and I, the next question is, is the one that I, I think is like the $64,000 question, um, which is probably too old of a reference. So it's like the really important question for those of you who don't remember real TV. Um, it, it, and the question is this. Okay, Paul, you call us to, but what does unity look like? Right? I mean, what, is it, what does it look like for us to live in unity? I don't think it means we all go to the same church. I don't think it means we all sing the same songs. I don't think it means we always agree on everything. But then what does it mean? I don't know for sure. I, I think that's what we have to try to figure out. I, I think it's, it's not always agreeing. In, in another letter to Corinth, which is pretty close to Ephesus, just across the bay, so to speak, but, but to Corinth, Paul says, you know what? They had a question about eating meat that had been offered to idols. Most of the butcher shops were really in the temples, and so it would be offered to an idol, and some Christians said, can't eat that. Other Christians said, yes, we can. And Paul said, you know what? For you, it would be okay. For you, it wouldn't. But live together in love. That's more important. Love always trumps freedom. And so Paul knows there are going to be things we don't agree. There are going to be music styles that help me worship in, in ways that are different than other people are helped to worship. There's going to be just, there are going to be some disagreements. And, and so it's not saying, oh, we always agree on everything. And it's not, again, I think this is important. This is why I mentioned what's coming in purity section. It's not saying everything is okay. I mean, that's kind of how our world tends to say, this is how you find unity. What we do is we just say everybody's Okay. But we're not allowed that option. Paul is going to call us to, to say, no, don't live in the darkness. Nobody who's in Christ is going to continue in sin. And so he's going to call us. To, to, it's, not, it's not saying everything's okay. Uh, again, I mean, it, it, and it's not, I think, first of all, structural, okay? And, and what I mean by that one is, is that it's, it, it's, it's not that we all got to be in the same building. And it's not that we got to have one pope or one bishop or one, uh, and that we all have to, I don't think it's that. Again, it's, it's, ideally we would get to that or something. I'm not saying one pope, but I mean, you know, ideally every church would be visibly structurally united. But on the other hand, I don't think that's the most important thing. And and so what I want to just start the conversation with, and I'm not going to go any further than this today, but but for me, as I try to think all week about what does it mean to be united? What does it mean for me to be in unity with people I don't agree with who are more conservative than me and, and more liberal than me? 
what do I do with that? How do I live in, in, in unity with them? And in some ways, what I think the basic fundamental point is to say, at the end of the day, I've got your back. You know how that is? I mean, it's like, I might tell you you're wrong. I might confront you to your face. Paul does that to Peter. I might, I might, but at the end of the day, I recognize that you and I share the same story and that there's one God. And at the end of the day, I've got your back. I will be there for you if you need me. And, and I think if we as Christians have that fundamental, and I, and I think about that with other pastors I have relationships with who are in other denominations, that I say, you know what, I think you're wrong about this, but at the end of the day, I've got your back. And, and I think that's, that's where unity really is. That's what Paul is saying here, is to, is to say, you know what, at the end of the day, we are on the same team. Uh, you know, I might disagree with the politics of, of a Jerry Falwell or whatever, and, and with his style of how he does some things. But you know what? I'm glad he's on my team. He belongs to Christ, and he's a brother. I may disagree, uh, but, but you know what? There's that basic sense of saying, at the end of the day, I've got your back. So that's the plea. Make every effort. Make every effort to keep the unity. What's the reason? The second thing, what is the reason for this? And, and Paul kind of gives two reasons that he joins together. But he, what he's going to say to us is, the reason that we keep this unity... The reason is that there's only one God, and we all share one story, okay? Paul is going to say there's only one God. We're not divided. We were all saved by the same God, while brought into the same God's family, and it all happened basically the same way for each and every one of us. Verses 4 to 6, look at this. And, and, and just watch how many times in three verses the word one appears. There is one body, okay? There's not a bunch of bodies of Christ, There's not a bunch of bodies that are the church. There is one body. That's why in some ways I was tempted to start off this morning and say, anybody know how many churches there are in Grand Rapids? 267 or something. No, one. There is one body. There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope. Your hope is not different than my hope. It is the same hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. If you count them, there are seven of them. There are seven of them. Biblically, that's a big number. <laughs> seven of them. There is one. And like I say, I think you can recognize Paul's got two things that, he, that he's talking about here. First of all, I, I, you know, there's, there's, there's one God, all right? He talks about it. There's one spirit, okay? The, 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 every Christian has the spirit. And guess what? I have the same spirit you have. And I have the same spirit that every Christian has. If I belong to Jesus Christ, the spirit, and we share the same spirit, and the spirit is not divided. And again, if you look at parents, and and if you're a parent, you can understand this. If you're not, maybe just imagine how your parents feel about this. But one of the best things that happens for a parent is when the kids get together and enjoy themselves and and get along together. One of the most painful things for a parent, and, and, and the spirit brings us into God's presence and creates us to be that body, and it tears the spirit apart when we don't live together in unity. There's one spirit, there's one Lord, all right? There's there's one Jesus, okay? There's not black Jesus and white Jesus. There's not Dutch Jesus and Romanian Jesus. There's not conservative Jesus and liberal Jesus. There's one Jesus. There's one Lord, okay? And and we got to try to figure out what that means for us. But we got to recognize, Paul is saying, come on, make every effort because there is only one and there is one God and Father of all. 
All right. Now, we have here, some of you may have already noticed it, but kind of the Trinity, which is the, the Christian teaching that there's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, that they're all one, they're all God, but they're, they're three and they're one. We have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all mentioned here. And next week, we're going to look at diversity and unity, and Paul's already setting it up, all right? So there's one God, and, and, and yet there are three, and they join together, and they each have each other's backs, and they're committed to each other. And, and so there's one God. Paul says you have to work and make every effort to live in unity because there is just one God. And then he's going to say, and you all share the same story. All right, the other four. There is one body. You were called to one hope when you were called, right? Again, you, our hope is that God will make all things new. Our hope is that the kingdom of God will come in its fullness. There is one faith. Now, again, we, we fight over exactly how to define it and so on, but at the end of the day, there is one basic faith, one story of what God has done, and one baptism. One, one baptism, and, and again, we fight a lot about baptism, right, between churches. But to say, you know what, there's one, one baptism of, of recognizing that we die and, and are raised by Christ. It's, we all get into it the same way. And so again, for me, this is where chapters 1 to 3 tie in so much to what Paul does here. It's remembering that story. If I am going to experience unity, the first thing I've got to do is make sure that I remember the basic story. And again, it's this, that I was dead. I was dead. This is my story. I was dead. I was made alive. I didn't make myself alive. I was made alive by God's grace. I was brought to life. I, I will be made new. That is my hope, and it is all by grace. And, 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 and in a sense, if that becomes our story, we all have other stories, but everything else becomes secondary. The story of where my grandparents moved from, the story of where your grandparents moved from, the story of whether you had riches or whether you had poverty, it's not that those don't matter at all, but this becomes the main story. There's one faith, one baptism, one hope, one, one body. This becomes the main story. I was trying to figure out what it looks like when all of us who have experienced this story fight with each other. And, and this is the best image that I came up with, and, I, and I'll show it to you in just a minute. But uh, about five years ago, four or five years ago, um, there were a, a, a couple of guys who left um, out of, I think, Miami, went out into the Atlantic Ocean in a sailboat, and they ended up in a storm. 100-mile-an-hour winds, 70-foot waves. The sailboat goes down. They're stuck in a raft, okay? These two guys are 400 miles from any piece of land, and they are stuck in a raft, and the Coast Guard comes. Here's a picture of where they are. You can see the raft with two survivors over on the raft. Hardly see it, right? I mean, that, that's the, the two survivors are in that little blob there, that little raft there. And then up the top on the left, you see it says top of the wave. That's 60 feet, right? That's 60, 70 feet to the top of that wave. Friends, they were basically dead, okay? They were without hope. If the Coast Guard's not there, they don't stand a chance. They got rescued. They lived. They survived, okay? But I want you to imagine this. This is, so they, they shared that story, right? And I want you to imagine that they get pulled up into the helicopter, and as soon as they get into the helicopter, the one guy punches the other guy in the face. And the other guy punches him back, and they start to fight, and they're trying to throw each other out of the helicopter, and, and, and the pilot turns around and says, what's going on? And the one guy says, he said that Fords are better than Chevys. And the other guy says, well, he said that, that, that Chevys are better than Fords. Put yourself in the pilot seat right then. What do you want to do? Dump them back in, right? <laughs> right? Seriously, you guys, you just, you were dead? You, were, you want to throw out the raft and throw them back in. If, if they are now fight, they share this fundamental story of being dead and now alive. They've just been rescued and they're fighting about Fords versus Chevys. They're fighting about Michigan versus Michigan State. They're fighting about whatever it is. That's sort of what 
we as Christians sometimes look like. Now, again, there are legitimate important issues. Don't, that's where I don't want us to, you know, don't say, oh, all of that just doesn't matter. But friends, if we root ourselves in that story, if we say the most important thing about my life is that I was dead and Jesus Christ saved me, the details of exactly how that worked, I mean, I think God sometimes just wants to look at the church and go, you know, let's just throw this batch back and try to find somebody else to rescue. I mean, right? I mean, that's what we're like. We're in this thing, and, and we're just... If we, did we forget? I mean, if that's really my story, and if I really believed I was saved by grace... See, I, well, we'll get into this later again. All right, it's, it, that's the story. I was dead, I am alive, I will be made new, and it's all by grace. That's the reason, all right? The plea is keep the unity. The reason is there's only one God and one story, okay? We all share that. And, and, and we got to make sure that whenever we disagree about anything, we're asking, but does this get at the basic story? How do we, and again, it doesn't mean, it, it, it doesn't make it easy to try to figure it out. But it does mean we got to make every effort, right? Paul is saying, give absolutely everything you can to learn to get along. Do everything you can to love that person and to be gracious to that person because your story is one of grace. All right? So the reason there's one God and we share one story. So how do we do that? What is the way? And here Paul has four things, and we're just going to touch on them quickly because we've kind of set the stage for them. But, but there are four things, and the first is, is, is I think, the, the core of it. All right? It's humility. Humility. How do we live together? It's humility. It's remembering that we were lost and are now found. It's remembering that we were dead and are now alive. It's remembering that I am completely dependent on God and on his grace. Pride destroys and separates us. Look at this. Again, going back to verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble. Be comp- it's, And it's not just be humble. It's be Totally, completely, 100% humble. Again, think of how often we get divided from others because to say, well, I have the right to do this. You don't have the right to stop me. You don't have the right to say, and we get snubbed. You know what humility says is, like, I was dead, now I'm alive. I'm not gonna, I, I, I'm gonna have that humility to, to recognize this. And, and, and again, it's rooted in that story. That's, that's who we are. That's what we say we believe. And, and, and so for me, this becomes saying, you know what? I was no less dead than anyone else, okay? I can't sit here and say, look, I, my part of the raft would not have gone under. I didn't really need Jesus to die for me. He maybe had to suffer a little bit just for me. Now you, he needed to die for, and so that's why we have to do this my way. No, I was absolutely dead without hope and without God in the world is what Paul says. And I didn't get here on my own. All right, I didn't get here on my own, and I don't know everything. Now, that's not to say I don't know anything. <laughs> it's not to say we don't have God's word, but I, friends, none of us know everything. We need the humility that says, guess what? I've been wrong before. And, and it doesn't mean we don't hold to a position. It doesn't mean we, but we do it with humbleness. We do it with a willingness to listen. And, and, and we do it again, that pride thing, it divides us up so much. And humility says, you know what? I need to listen to you. I need to hear your heart. I need to hear this. And, and, and when I've done that, when I've reached out to you in love, then we can talk about the other matters. And, 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 and so 
again, there's such a balance here of unity and purity, and I, I, I don't want to let us let go of either. I don't know everything, and I am completely dependent on God. That's humility. It's not saying I'm horrible. It's not saying we don't know anything, but it is having humility to recognize that we are saved by God's grace, and I need to listen to you, and, and then we need to humbly listen to God together, all right? But again, so often, churches are divided because of pride. I cannot believe you said that about me. I cannot believe that. You know what? Anything rotten you say about me is probably true. I was dead in sins. I mean, why would I get arrogant and, and say, you can't say that about me when I've already said I'm dead in sin, that I was so horrible I deserve to go to hell for all eternity? I mean, if I really believe that, am I going to get offended when you say, Ron, you're just being a jerk about this? You're right. I'm sorry. Humility, all right. So that's the first one, humility. The second one that, that allows us to live together in unity is gentleness, all right? It, it's gentleness. Paul says, be completely humble and gentle. The way we speak to each other, the way we listen to each other, gentleness. Uh, again, it's not biblically, it's not weakness, okay? So often we say, well, I just got to be a wimp. And, 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 and again, gentleness is not political correctness, Let's, let's recognize that. That's what I think I get frustrated with sometimes. If somebody said, oh, your language is not politically correct or whatever. No, I can be gentle, but it doesn't mean I have to be politically correct. And I can still, there's, the best definition of, of gentleness I think I've seen is, is this. It's strength under control. It's strength. God calls us to be strong in, in the power of Jesus Christ. But it's strength under control. In the Old Testament, it was used of a, of a horse. that You know, 2,000 pounds of strength but it was under control. I, I found this picture and I thought, that's gentleness. I don't know, the guy it looks like he's strong enough. But I think in a sense, Paul is saying, that's how we gotta be with other Christians with whom we disagree. Gentleness. We, we've gotta treat them with gentleness. Not without strength, but there's, but there's a love, there's a commitment, there's a you're on my team. And it can be confrontation. And, and, and so it's strength under control. And, and so I, I want you to just think about this and think about things like Facebook or other social media or whatever. Most of us aren't going to punch each other. But just ask yourself about language. Is our language to and about others gentle? Or is it in your face? Because if it's in your face, it's not Christian. Okay? That's just the way it is. We're called to be humble and gentle. If it's in your face, it's not Christian. Whatever it is, it, it can be true, it can be clear, it can be strong. I have no problem with that. We have to be those things. Again, unity and purity. It can be, but there's gentleness. Humility and gentleness. The third thing he mentions is patience. And, and here Paul is making it clear that this is not easy because um, patience is is, is only used when we have problems, right? Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Pa- patience, I, I, two things to notice about this. One, it's, it's only needed when things are not going well. I don't need patience with my children or grandchildren when they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. You know when I need patience? When they're not. I need patience when it's not going the way I want it to. And so by calling us to patience, Paul is saying, guess what, friends? It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. And again, I can be strong. I think about that again. A parent with a child. I, 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 they need to learn to do this. 
but I have patience. How much? A godly amount. Again, how many? T- I don't know. But, but we say, God, you've been patient with me. It, it, and it's also, again, needed. I think it's interesting to notice when we have expectations. If I don't care what you do, I don't need to be patient with you. The only time I need patience is when I want you to learn to speak together and to speak more in love, and you're not, right? I, I have an expectation. Patience requires also that I have an expectation of somebody else. And, and, and so, again, so often our, our temptation is to say, well, the way we get unity, the way we have patience is we just don't care. No, we care. And that's why it's, the word is literally long-suffering. <laughs> it's because I care. I will be patient as you try to work through this. But I still am going to call you to work through it because I have an expectation about this, that we are going to get better at this. All right? So... Humility, gentleness, patience, and then the last one, which ties in very much to patience, bearing with others. All right? Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with others. Excuse me, with one another in love. And this word is, again, one of the really hard calls because what it really means is it's, it's putting up with others who are annoying or difficult. The person who most bugs you you bear with them in love. And, and, and I think, again, there's something about this that's saying, Paul's saying, there are some people you are never going to like. There are some people you're never going to find it easy just to spend time with. But you are called to bear with them in love. You are called to put up with annoyance in love. Again, we speak the truth. He's going to say that next week. We're going to talk about that. But, but we also just put up with a lot how much until we say, nope, that's enough, because there are places where Paul says, nope, that's enough. Again, we've got to be praying that the Spirit will show us. But the call is to make every effort to be full of humility, gentleness, patience, and, and bearing with each other. It's not easy. This is such a hard word from God this morning for me, and I think for all of us. But God's call is clear. And I just pray that we can be committed to say, God, teach us how to live in love and purity. Make every effort. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, this is a hard one for us because we know that you call us to be united, but sometimes it's hard to know who's in and who's out and hard to know how we even decide or what we're supposed to decide and and how to speak in love because sometimes it's truth and firm and sometimes it's always firm and it's always gentle. So give us wisdom, Father. Give us your spirit. Remind us of the story of us. Remind us that we are dead and we're dead in our sins and you made us alive and then help us to treat others and recognize that their story is fundamentally not very different than ours. And so teach us to love. In Jesus' name, amen.